Hello and welcome to Tech Crack, the podcast series brought to you by Sync NI. We are Northern Ireland's leading technology and business media company, and this podcast series will see us interview some of the best, brightest, and most influential thought leaders from across NI's business and tech sectors. Find out more on SyncNI.com or follow us across our social media channels. And enjoy. This week, I spoke with Tom Gray, lead creator of Bell Tech and chief technology officer at Kinos one of Northern Ireland's largest homegrown tech firms. We discuss all things artificial intelligence, the future of the tech sector here in NI, and of course, the upcoming Bell Tech 2020 event, which is free to register for and virtual for the first time ever. So obviously this year is the first year Bell Tech is going virtual. Was it difficult to come to that decision or is it hard to implement? Because I know a lot of people are probably saying out of all the events to go digital, this would be the one that would be easiest to do because it is all to do with technology. But how has it been going about getting it online? Um, I guess it probably wasn't as easy or as straightforward a decision as you might think. I mean, while the conference is about technology, digital technology, I guess, to be specific, um, it is ultimately a conference. Um, and you know, it has probably more in common with um, a conference on tourism or manufacturing um, than you know, anything else, I guess, technology specific. So this was more, I guess, um, you know, a partnership conversation with ourselves and Ashling, um, who do a brilliant job you know, organizing Bell Tech every year. Um, so I guess from my perspective, I don't particularly care what the vehicle is. Um, I just want to make sure that our audience gets the most you know, informative, valuable and engaging um, session. Um, I mean, there was no way, I guess, whenever we hit May, um, that we were going to be able to do an in-presence, um, an in-person conference, um, certainly not before the end of September. Um, so while we had rescheduled from the beginning of March to the end of May, um, with yeah, a hope and fingers crossed that we would be able to run at the end of May um, in person, that just wasn't going to happen. Um, so given that Ashleen had been looking at, I guess, moving some of their other conferences online, it made sense to do the same thing for, for, uh, for Belltech. And what can people expect from this year's Bell Tech? You know, what's the topics going to be? The have you got the the speaker lineup all completely confirmed? Yes. Well, we had the speak up lineup, speak up the speaker lineup confirmed <laughs> for the beginning of March, um, and I think with a very small number of exceptions, um, that lineup remains um, in place for the online event in two weeks' time. Um, so. We didn't necessarily change a lot. Um, it, it was just a case of taking what we had already planned to run. And what we planned to run was the usual Belltech structure of um, a complete strand focused on software engineering. Um, and then a parallel strand focused more on emerging technology and I guess targeted less at the practicing software engineer and more at, I guess, high-level technology professionals or C-level execs. Um, and 
the technologies that we're looking at this year were going to be artificial intelligence, machine learning, and Internet of Things predominantly. Um, and both of those, I guess, remain extremely relevant, if not more relevant, um, you know, in the wake of um, the COVID disruptions. So if what people can expect is hopefully the same good, solid Belltech content with um, talks and panels featuring you know, the leaders of the Northern Ireland um, tech industry and also some of the best from um, our partners and um, you know, other organizations across the world. Perfect. And just speaking about that artificial intelligence, machine learning, Internet of Things, um, you sort of touched on it there saying that it's it's more so relevant perhaps now than before because of the coronavirus crisis. Um, you know, there's lots of studies where AI has, uh, there's been AI designed drug molecules, robot cleaners, um, artificial intelligence is being used to model and track COVID-19 data and, and stop the spread of misinformation, etc. So what do you think the future, do you think that the coronavirus pandemic, you know, do you think this is going to almost spur like a technological revolution in that there's going to be even more interest in the likes of artificial intelligence going on from the pandemic? Um, I think that's probably the, I think that's going to be the case, Neve. Um, and uh, I guess you kind of use two words or two phrases there. So one was revolution um, and the other one was probably um, acceleration or sort of more interest. Um, to be honest, I think what we're going to see coming out of um, the pandemic is probably less a revolution um, in that I don't think things are going to change, let's say, dramatically. You know, there hasn't been you know, a new wave of technologies or a new paradigm emerging from um, the COVID experiences. I think what has happened is that um, organizations have accelerated their use of technologies like machine learning, um, like, and I should have mentioned this earlier, um, like cloud technologies and cloud platforms um, and IoT robotic type devices. Um, and I think what we've seen is um, certainly when it comes to client appetite for cloud native solutions or client appetite to start introducing some machine learning into their solutions. Um, yeah, they've kind of skipped over a lot of the, um, I won't say scrutiny, they're still scrutinizing the decisions, but I think a lot of the anguishing around, should we do this? Um, you know, is it too early? Are we being too risky? Um, I think that the, acceptance level of certainly cloud platforms has probably accelerated probably two two years and two months um, and I think as a society um, as an economy we're probably very lucky that we had um, you know, cloud platforms and I, I won't name them, you know what um, platforms exist here. You know, I think we were very lucky that they were at the level of maturity that they were um, because I think it enabled um, not just the tech industry, um, but a number of other sectors to I guess continue to do business at, 
a certain level, um, certainly much, certainly a much more um, effective level than we would have done maybe even five years ago. Um, and I mean, I'm old enough to remember 20 and 30 years ago. I mean, if the pandemic had hit 30 years ago, you know, things would have been massively different. You know, there would be no online shopping. There would be no Zoom conference calls. Um, there would be no instant access to information. Um, so, you know, there could be people sitting at home, maybe not even knowing that there was a pandemic for three, four days a week, two weeks. Um, so I think we've been very fortunate um, that technology exists. Um, I think that we are seeing, um, as, as you said, um, an acceleration in the acceptance and the use of some of those technologies. Um, but I guess there's always that little word of caution, which is, you know, in, we need to be careful that we're using technology in appropriate, mature, responsible ways. And I think for the most part we have been, but there are probably instances where probably need to look back on some of the decisions that were made and maybe be a little bit more cautious and sort of move back some of the, um, I guess, advances that were made in haste. Yeah, well, that was one of the things as well you touched on there. The fact that it feels a bit strange to say, you know, we're lucky to be in the pandemic at this stage because I don't think anyone's lucky to be in a pandemic. But the fact that we do have the technology and the devices now to help us work from home. Is that something, obviously, because you're from a, a tech background, did it ever worry you, you know, coming into this people working from home? Or Because a lot of employers, I think, were people that were afraid to use technology to the measures that they're using it now, they've sort of had to push those fears aside because they've, they've been forced to do it. Um, is that something that you foresaw at the beginning of the pandemic? Did you, did you know that it was going to be okay or... You know, were you worried yourself? Um, I I don't think anybody knew it was going to be okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, and I do think that companies that were, I guess, in the business of providing or creating technology as opposed to using it um, were slightly better prepared. Um, so, and I guess from, you know, a personal perspective from a Kinos perspective. I mean, the move from everybody being in the office to everybody being um, yeah, in their bedrooms or their dining rooms. I'm in my dining room at the minute. It's very sunny, which is, which is very nice. Um, yeah, that was much easier um, because we had over the past number of years um, moved the organization to being, um, I guess, entirely cloud-based. Um, so it was relatively straightforward for us to shut down PCs in the office one day and then fire up the, the laptops or the tablets at home. Um, and I think we knew that you know, the technology would work, whether it would have worked, I guess, at the scale that we needed. Um, so in, in for us, 1,500 people working remotely you'd expect it to work but who knows um, and it has been I think reasonably straightforward for us um, and you know, you've probably heard this from loads of other people um, but you know there are pros and cons to working um, remotely you know, 
some people say that they can be more focused, that they get more done. Um, and I think in some cases that's true. Um, other people say that they might start to feel disconnected from their colleagues and from the company. And I think that is definitely true as well. Um, I guess one of the things that probably concerned me most and probably still does is um, particularly for more junior colleagues who um, are quite rightly less self-sufficient. Um, they need more guidance and mentoring. You know, it's much easier to provide them with you know, a good employment experience if you're sitting in the vicinity and you can see somebody who's maybe quietly struggling with something. So you can see it by you know, their posture, you know, um, their expression, and you can, I guess, just make um, sort of small questions about, are you okay? Do you need help with this? You know, if you've got somebody who's working from home and the only opportunity you have to, I guess, interact with them is when you deliberately um, you know, initiate a Zoom call, you could have people who are sitting and needing help blocked for whatever reason for days on end. Um, so I think it's probably easier for more experienced people than it is perhaps for junior people in the organization. Um, and I guess that's particularly um, on all our minds now as students start to graduate um, and um, people will be starting to take up graduate positions, probably slightly deferred towards the end of the year. Things will be much harder to bring new people into the organization um, at a junior level if you don't have some office presence. Yeah, 100%. I think as well, what you're saying there, it depends a lot on what type of person you are. Like if you're an extrovert or an introvert or how you best adapt to learning. Because as you said, if someone's sitting in the office, maybe they're better at doing things by having someone physically show them and then they can try it themselves, like trial by error. Um, but then other people, maybe they're fine, sort of uh, learning from a Zoom call at home, but I, I completely understand what you mean. And then touching even on that graduates coming out now and going into jobs or even people that are, obviously quite a lot of people have been furloughed and unfortunately some people have been made redundant. And I think there's quite a lot of discussion now a lot of people are, are hoping to change careers and maybe people that wanted to change careers before but never took the plunge but now because of the pandemic we're in that they feel that now is the time to do so do you think getting into a career within Northern Ireland's tax scene right now is that something you would advise? <laughs> That's a very very good question <laughs> um, and I was just discussing this yesterday with colleagues both in the industry um, university and with department for economy um, so you probably know or you're probably alluding to um, the postgraduate certificate of education in software engineering that queens is running um, it started teaching on monday um, and it will over a three-month period give um, attendees about a third of the content of what we would I guess call the conversion course masters um, and they can leave at the end of three months with a certificate and be in a position where they could take up a junior position in the industry. Um, so it, it, this is a very interesting point. So I, mean, I think we need to be I guess 
inch we need to be careful that we're setting expectations correctly um, at all levels. So, you know, the tech industry, the software sector in Northern Ireland has probably been one of the more resilient um, sectors. Um, and I think we're all well aware of how lucky we are. Um, but that doesn't mean that um, it hasn't been impacted. Uh, you know, I can't speak for specific organizations, but undoubtedly projects will have been put on hold. Um, some projects may have been canceled. Um, and I think it may well be difficult for companies to take on really junior staff um, and the people coming out of that course in August, September time, will probably have less experience or less capability than a placement student. Um, so they will require um, you know, proportionately more support and guidance. It's going to be quite a challenge for the organization to take on that type of person at scale at a time when they're trying to, I guess, bring on their current commitment of placement and graduate software engineers. Um, so I think it may well be a difficult time to be looking to change career, I guess, between now and the end of the year. Um, but I would say, you know, if the opportunity exists to, I guess, do the training to get the skills, yeah, absolutely take it. Um, and over the longer term, um, and this time next year, I mean, I would expect the software sector generally to be back in growth mode. Um, in, in, in Northern Ireland, we had um, a deficit of skills. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that in some cases that deficit still exists. So there is a gap in more experienced software engineers, um, you know, tech leads the sort of people who you can build a team around um, there hasn't been quite the same um, dearth of junior staff um, and at the moment anybody changing career will be coming in at a, at a junior level so as i say the times will be not quite right um, for that now but over the next 12 18 months and certainly um, in the long term um, i think northern ireland making the opportunity available um, to people to reskill, you know, that is absolutely the right thing to do. It's the forward thinking thing to do. Um, and in, if you've got people who are furloughed from, uh, I guess, non-tech industry, um, I think there's a massive benefit in doing a course like that, because even if they don't want to switch to, you know, a software engineering role in a company like Kinos or Allstate or or Liberty or the, the many other that exist, the skills that they will have learned will actually be really useful to their existing company. And it may well be a key way to actually accelerate the digitization of some of the other sectors like manufacturing, like agri-food. Um, and I think that um, catalyst is something that we need in, in the Northern Ireland economy generally. 100% that you basically answered my next question, which was going to be, well, you know, what do you think the future holds for Northern Ireland tech sector, but even what you're saying there and that, you know, the skills you learn in any of those um, conversion courses or tech courses in general, 
they're always going to be transferable skills. So, you know, you're not just confined to, you know, oh, I have to be a software engineer now, uh, you know, because I think within the next 10 years, people are going to need more and more technology skills because their own roles will be evolving. Um, and obviously it's early days yet, but do you imagine, you know, Bell Tech, for example, do you know, could it, it even be virtual next year too? Do you think that a lot of companies are now going to continue working this way, working remotely um, and using technology to their benefit more and more, say, for example, in a year's time? Um, well, to answer Bell Tech first, I, I think if we have to be virtual, um, and let's hope not, um, then we absolutely will be. Um, and I guess probably um, one of the first tests for that is what are we going to be like come um, October, November time when we have to start thinking about AI con. So mark your diary for that. Um, um, but I think if we do not have to be virtual, um, I think there's a lot of merit in actually having um, the social aspect of a, a conference alongside the content aspect. Um, so I mean, yes, it's great to sit and listen to talks, but I think at least part of the value is, um, I guess, sharing experiences with your colleagues um, or even meeting your colleagues and finding out a little bit about what they do and what their companies do. Um, because I think there's a great tendency, uh, and this is a concern for me actually, so I th I think the Northern Ireland tech sector is getting much better. Um, I think it's a lot more vibrant than it was, and it actually is probably one of the more vibrant sectors across the UK. But still, um, you know, we do have a little bit of a tendency to be inward looking. Um, and I think there's a lot of benefit in um, providing opportunities for um, people to, I guess, see what's happening outside their organization, um, meet new people, um, I guess, exchange experiences. Um, and that is difficult to do on a Zoom call or a Teams call. So I think if we can um, have a physical presence, we absolutely will. Um, if we can't, then I would like to think that one of the um, things that we try this year and hopefully improve next year is how do we get as much audience engagement and participation as we can um, so obviously people will be able to use social media to um, I guess it tweet their views and be able to DM um, to other um, audience members but I think we need to find out how do you actually make sense of that um, you know social real-time interaction and actually use it to enrich the conference experience for everyone. Um, and I don't think we quite know exactly how to do that. Yeah, the, the thing I wanted to ask you as well, Tom, how, how did you actually come about a career in technology? You know, what is it that attracted you to the sector? <laughs> um, well, I can tell you that I'm not sure that um, any, Anybody listening today thinking about joining the sector is going to be able to um, picture it. Um, so um, I started my career in technology in 1985 um, with a computer science degree at Queen's. Um, but why did I go to do a computer science degree in Queen's? Um, well, I was probably one of the generation that, I guess, you know, had 
ZX Spectrum and I would have been the, and I'll admit it, we were sad individuals um, who would happily spend an evening typing um, a game into the PC from a printout in a magazine um, and then getting really frustrated when it didn't work um, and then getting really, um, I guess, overjoyed when you find out what you've done wrong and you made it work. Um, so I guess I was drawn to it probably less thinking it was going to be um, a rewarding, lucrative career and more because it was just really interesting. You know, I was really taken by the idea that you know, I could actually create um, a computer program. Um, computers at the time being things that were largely science fiction, but I could be part of that. Um, and I think that that attraction still exists for a lot of people today, or I guess maybe would exist if people knew the opportunities that existed locally. Um, and you know, whenever we talk to individuals in secondary school um, in particular, um, and you tell them about some of the work that's happening in Northern Ireland. Um, so you've got companies who are creating systems that are being used by you know, almost every citizen in the UK or you know, people throughout the world, you know, insurance software that's being used all over the US, medical software that's helping diagnose cancer. Um, you know, some of the best games in the world um, are being created in Northern Ireland. You know, those people actually don't know that it happens here. Um, and once they know that actually, yes, I could join the games industry or I could become um, a, a software professional, I didn't know that opportunity existed, then they get quite excited. Um, so I do think that as, a, as, as an industry, we probably haven't done a great job at, I guess, communicating what we actually do locally because it is actually quite brilliant. Um, and I think we have to get a little bit better at that. Yeah, no, I agree. That's one thing that on sync we definitely try to push that education initiative. Um, yep. the fact that so many kids in schools, particularly one of the one of the our last digital edition was about women in tech and how girls, especially in schools, can be quite underrepresented in STEM subjects in general. So I definitely agree with you that there's so much going on in Northern Ireland and hopefully this podcast, if anyone listens to it that didn't know before all the things that are going on, they'll know now because like you say, I think with tech, you can be quite creative with it. It's not just a, it's not, it's not boring. I think people think that there's no real creative element to it, but you can, there's a real sense of accomplishment and a sense of productivity. You know, you build something, you literally create it. And then at the end, you can really see it come to life. Do you know what I mean? So I, I definitely get that. Um, but yes, Absolutely. You know, I, th I think the creativity piece, you know, probably is under communicated. Um, and I think that's almost to the cost of the sector as well. Um, because, you know, and this is grumpy old man talking. I mean, whenever I started, you know, if you wanted to do anything, you had to do it all yourself. So if you wanted to store data, you had to write your own database. Um, now, you know, all that plumbing, all that sort of low level, let's say relatively boring code actually has been done. 
Um, so the real challenges and the real opportunities of what I think Northern Ireland is actually really good at is applying the technology to create um, business solutions, be it entertainment, be it office productivity, be it medical, that you know, solve real problems. Um, and the major skill there is you know, the creativity, the um, understanding how to apply the technology as opposed to how to create every single byte and pixel. Um, and I think we should be attracting more people with a creative mindset. That's not to say that people who are in the sector aren't creative, absolutely are. Um, but I think there's a broader demographic that we need to be reaching out to. Yeah, there's definitely a very skill set um, that people can have. You know, it doesn't just have to be pigeonholed into, oh, I'm good at math, so I'll go into tech. You know, you can be good at hmm. lots of different things, uh, which hopefully... Hopefully a lot of the attendees to, to the virtual bell tech, maybe, you know, maybe there'll be some people in there that, that didn't consider it before, but now <laughs> maybe they'll listen to this and think, oh, I will tune into that. Um, um, absolutely. And I guess that's one of the real benefits, hopefully, um, of going online. You know, there's no limits to the number of people we can fit in the room. Um, and um, this year there is no charge either so and I guess if we can find a way to get the message out then I would absolutely encourage um, you know students I would encourage folks who are doing um, or a levels um, to actually pick a couple of the sessions that seem interesting um, and just sit in um, and you'll learn from um, some good role models from the sector and Tom is it, can people register right up until, it's, isn't, doesn't it begin, it's a four day conference beginning on Monday, the 25th of June? Right. Yes, yes. Um, and it, the way it's been structured, um, so normally, as I said, you know, there's software engineering and emerging technologies running side by side. Um, this year we've actually broken it out. So um, there's no content clashes. Um, so everybody can see everything if they want. Um, but I guess I would suggest that Monday and Tuesday is still more for the practicing software engineer. Um, it'll probably get more down and dirty with code. Um, Wednesday and Thursday will still be a little bit more high level, um, more focused on the application of technology as opposed to the creation. Mm -hmm. And can people register for that right up until, as you said, it's yes. charged right up until the Sunday night, even Monday night or whatever? Yeah. Ab absolutely. Perfect. That's really good to know. Um, that is everything from my end. Thank you so much, Tom. No problem. Very happy to speak to you. That's it for this week's episode of Tech Crack. For all things tech and business in Northern Ireland, visit SyncNI.com. Have a good week.